Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is right on 7.30, and of course that means it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to welcome back Penny Woodward. Good morning, Penny. Hi, Pam. Hi, listeners. It's lovely to be back, even though it's absolutely freezing. (laughs) It is very cold. (laughs) My car said minus two degrees in Eltham this morning, and... um, it was still minus one as I travelled down the eastern freeway. So, yeah, well, um, even even in central <clears throat> Melbourne, it only got to one point one or one point two. I think they were saying yes. on the news. So, pretty chilly. It yes. certainly is. Yeah. Yes, but um, all those fruit trees that need a good winter oh, chill, it's going to be great. Fantastic, and the garlic's really enjoying it too. So, the you know that bit of cold, and it, it was interesting that I was talking to a friend who grows in Sydney, mm-hmm. grows garlic in Sydney, and they because of the cold they're having, he's finding that some cultivars are doing. Much much better than they usually do and others have slowed right down so the cold is obviously having quite an adverse effect on some but is actually encouraging others to do really well which is all grist for the mill of sort of trying to work out what grows best where and all that absolutely sort of yeah. yes yeah so we also have to welcome back Evan Golke from Oka Landscapes. Good morning, Evan. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, listeners. Good to see you back. Thank you. And you. I, I think last time I was here you were off Galvanting around the countryside. I was off in northern Italy, that's oh, right. right. Oh, yes. so it's fine for some. We're here <laughs> keeping the economy going. <laughs> it uh, was the... lovely and warm, Evan, over there. <laughs> <laughs> the cold, I just realised that with all the excitement of the football last night, I didn't uh, cover my capsicums. I've, my capsicums haven't blackened off yet. Really? And oh, uh, I thought, now. yeah, I know, and now I've missed them. <laughs> I can't believe that. I was going to go out and cover them last night, uh, and I've forgotten to try. And I thought if I could overwinter them, that would be great mm, yes. because mm. I always have trouble getting them up early enough to get a big enough crop. I mean, we yep. always get them, but just to mm. get that bigger crop. Yes. I've got I've got one in a pot that is still bearing capsicums. Right. That's just, it's on the back. Deck, so yes. um, it's slightly under under cover, mm. um, but it's still got little capsicum. They're not they're green. They're not turning red, mm. but it's still growing capsicums. Isn't that amazing? Is pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah, I've actually got a little glass house. I've, I've nearly finished building a little glass ah, house. So excellent. that's that will hopefully mm. get things up a little bit mm. earlier. Mm. Um, I bought it on eBay of all things a couple of years ago. I never put it together, but it's a geodesic shape. Okay, wow. So it, it looks like an astronomer's yep. um, building. Right. Um, it's so, it's old. Mm. I, I don't know um, where it's come from. I've looked and looked and look on, looked on the mm. internet for images of one. I found an image of one that was exactly the same somewhere in England. Yep. But apart from that, I've not found any. But it's the cleverest thing. It's just made out of a couple of lengths of, of uh, pressed metal mm. um, and lots of triangular pieces of glass. Fantastic. Uh, so I've got it up on bluestone wall, and so the idea is is that I'll put compost in there as soon as spring mm. sort of starts, to, or late winter, to keep it warm. Yep. Mm. And then um, hopefully be able to grow uh, capsicums and eggplants as well, just mm. to get them up earlier. Yes. In pots, and then get them mm. out into the garden. Mm. Brilliant. Mm. <clears throat> I've actually, um, luckily, I've remembered this year to cover my perennial chili. So. It's surviving quite well. So, yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting to see what mine looks like actually this morning. I'm not sure. We don't usually get frosts, but it's mm. possible that we got one this morning. Yes. So. 
be interesting to see how the perennial chili is because mm. it's right out in the middle of my garden. Right. What do you cover yeah. yours with, Pam? How do you protect it? Oh, I've just got a bit of shade cloth over it. Okay, and that's enough? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you don't rug it up in blankets? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> hot water no, bottle? No, hot water bottle, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, no, with a bit of luck, that'll survive. I mean, I have, mm. I have had it get right through winter in previous years mm. without covering it, but they've been milder winters, mm. so I haven't bothered mm. to cover it. I, I mean, okay, the top... Um, has been a bit affected, you know, but you just cut that back in spring and, and all's well. Mm. But um, I knew that we were in for a solid winter this year, so I thought, while I remember, I'm <laughs> going to cover it right now. So. Well, normally my capsicums would be gone by now, but I'm just wondering if it's because it's been so dry, so the soil temperature hasn't dropped I think as much. that's probably the case, mm. yeah. Yeah, because it, it has been really dry. It has been, so we're not getting that really cold damp around them. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So it's been good in that respect. Mm. Um, although we had mm. a decent rain last week. So yeah. Yes, last which, which week was, was, great. was great because mm. it really was getting very dry. So, mm. yeah, thank goodness mm. we've had a bit now. Mm. Yeah, I might get straight to uh, some community <coughs> announcements. Um, coming up, firstly, uh, two plant sales, winter plant sales. The first one is uh, with the Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens in Cranbourne. They've got their winter plant sale coming up on Saturday the 25th and Sunday the 26th of July, 10 o'clock through to 4 o'clock. Now, this is at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Cranbourne. They've got plants from uh, $4, cash or cheque only for that sale. Now, also another plant sale on Sunday, July the 26th, again, 10 through to 4. This one's being conducted by Friends of Burnley Gardens. Um, they've got a range of native, exotic and produce plants there. The location is the Citriodora Lawn uh, at Burnley Campus, which is behind the Student Union Building, uh, parking, of course, on Yarra Boulevard there. And again, payment by cash only for that sale. And this is being held in conjunction with um, the University of Melbourne Green Roof um, at Burnley Campus, um, is going to be open as part of Open House Melbourne and that will be open on that same day. So you can pop along and have a look at their green roof and then also purchase some plants. Now also coming up, uh, and again Sunday, July the 26th, Werribee Park Heritage Orchard have got their grafting day. Now this is taking place from 10am through until 3pm. Now they're going to have... Um, Lots of things going on, grafting demonstrations, orchard tours, uh, fruit trees grafted to order. Um, The Heritage Fruit Society will be there to offer their knowledge and advice. You can have a look at the vegetable gardens set up by the Karen Burmese community. Um, There will be some limited plants and vegetables uh, available to buy on the day. There will be perennials propagated from Werribee Park Mansion Gardens for sale. Uh, a new natural history display of Western Plains wildlife in the old homestead, sausage sizzles, hot drinks, sweet treats, plenty of parking and, of course, the beautiful grounds of Werribee Mansion and its sculpture walk. Now, uh, you follow the signs to Gate 5, then you turn left when you reach Shadowfax Winery, drive around the edge of the polo fields and park under the cypress trees behind the old homestead You'll see the marquees over by the old stables. So that's going to be an excellent day there for that uh, grafting day. 
if you'd like to learn more particularly about how to graft your own fruit trees. Now, talking um, grafting, uh, Friends of Burnley Gardens are running um, the Art of Aspalia workshop. Now, they do this every year. Um, it's a winter pruning workshop for fruit trees. It's being led by Chris England of Merrywood Plants. So you can learn pruning and espalia techniques. There'll be a lecture, demonstration and hands-on workshop. General pruning, pruning for espalia fruit trees is covered and a bare-rooted fruit tree is included in the cost. Now, of course, bookings are essential. The workshop is limited to a maximum of 20 participants. It's taking place on Saturday the 1st of August, 10am through to 1pm, down at Burnley Campus, of course, which is at 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond there. BYO, clean secateurs, closed shoes and gloves. Now, to book, um, you can phone Andrew. His number is 9035-6861 or you can email friends.burnley at gmail.com. Now the cost for members of Friends of Burnley Gardens is $82. For non-members is $99. So um, as I say, because there's a limit of 20 people to participate in this, you do need to get in nice and quickly and uh, book that number again to phone Andrew Nine zero three five six eight six one. Now, uh, also coming up um, with uh, Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens Cranbourne, they've got an all-day workshop coming up, which is entitled Fronley Ferns and Captivating Cycads. Now, it's on Sunday, the second of August, nine thirty through to four p.m. It's being held in the Australian Garden Auditorium down at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Now, uh, they've got a full range of some amazing speakers, including Professor David Cantrell, who's the Chief Botanist at Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne, um, Daniel Joubert of the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning, um, and along with a lot of other ones, including our very own Roger Elliott, of course, um, now, the topics being covered are ferns and cycads in the fossil record, cycads from Australia and other parts of the world, biodiversity and geography of Victorian ferns, cycads in the Australian garden, and the cultural history of ferns and cycads. So uh, it should be very, very interesting. It'll, the workshop will include a guided tour of the cycads and ferns found in the Australian Garden, as well as a chance to take home your very own ferns and cycads. Now, um, <clears throat> to book, uh, and I should give out the costs, for Friends of Cranbourne Botanic Garden, $60. For non-members, $75. And to book, uh, you need to phone... Eight double seven four two four eight three. So that's eight double seven four two four eight three. Just a couple more. Um, I should quickly mention, uh, or perhaps one more, because these are these are all for the diary. Uh, again, friends of Burnley Gardens have got their AGM coming up, and uh, immediately following uh, the AGM. Their patron, Dr Greg Moore, is going to be presenting a talk on dormant buds, trees and gardeners' best friends. So this is all taking place on Wednesday the 19th of August, Quad 6 Classroom, 
Burnley campus again at 500 Yarra Boulevard, 7 o'clock for refreshments and the talk commences at 7.30 and there's no charge for that one. Uh, now, our good friend Margot MacDonald from the Garden Tap Nursery in Kyneton uh, left me a little message yesterday um, as part of our Radiothon. Um, several people requested Margot to take home uh, product back to the Garden Tap Nursery. Now, all of these have been collected apart from one person who uh, who ordered package number three, which includes the Organic Gardener uh, Bible. Um, it includes also a lot of other product, including fertiliser, plant foods, composts, um, an organic bucket hat, um, so, and uh, Mago doesn't have a phone number or contact for whoever ordered that package number three. So this is a call out to whoever um, ordered that one. Um, it is there up at the Garden Tap Nursery. Now, the nursery is only open on weekends during winter time, but if you could please go along, um, preferably today, but otherwise next weekend to, uh, to pick up that package from Mago. All right, let's uh, open up our lines for talkback. If you'd like to ask a gardening show this morning, we'd love to hear from you. Um, we have Penny Woodward in the studio and also Evan Golke from Oaken Landscape. So if you want to talk anything in the way of um, herbs or garlic or any um, designs or what you should be planting where, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Evan, what have you been up to recently? I was just thinking what I've been up to in my own garden recently. Yes. Um, one of the things is pruning miscanthus back or any other of those ornamental grasses and then using them for the strawberries. It's probably the best straw that you can have in the garden. It's a bit like having bamboo in the garden. It's great to have a, a bamboo plant mm-hmm. because you can use it for steaks and so on. And miscanthus is another one of those must-haves if you like growing strawberries because the, the straw lasts for so long. It really lasts for a couple of years Okay. Um, under the strawberries. So um, every year I get in there and chop it down from the top slowly you know, and then pick it all up and put it around the strawberries, and it's just a, a wonderful ground cover. Fantastic. Mm. Is, is your soil acid or alkaline? That's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's about neutral. Okay. Um, so it's fine to sort of use, and it's just I tend to use pine needles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, you've got lots of pine trees yeah, around your area have too, haven't you? Yeah, we have pine trees. Yeah, no, I don't, um, I don't need to worry about that. Yeah. They, they bear really well. But I have okay. done that before, mm. gone and collected bags of pine needles, mm. and it's wonderful, isn't it? Because it they is. stay, stay yeah. so dry yep. um, yeah. and stay so off the I ground. So I just mentioned that as an mm. alternative because mm. there's a lot of pine trees around and you know, mm. it's relatively easy to get the needles. Yeah, yeah, and just rake them up. And some yeah. of the, the material under pine trees is just beautiful. Mm. If you can get mm. just below it, sometimes yes. the old rotted material oh, is worth yes. grabbing as well. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. But only if your <clears throat> soil's not already quite acid. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, because it has a pretty big effect, doesn't it? Mm. The other thing I've been doing is pruning the, um, the raspberries back, and I was noticing, but they're already budding. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy! Couldn't isn't it? believe yeah. yes. all my fruit trees have got buds on them. Have they? they? Absolutely. Yeah, the nectarine's just about to burst into blossom, and the almond is always early anyway, and mm. it's it's about to burst into blossom. Mm. Yeah, and the birds are nesting. 
collecting yes. and start getting ready to nest. And then yeah, it's yeah, weird. yeah. Time to shut the gates on the mm. veggie garden mm. so that they don't ruin everything. Yes, the blackbirds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now in in the garden at home, it's just just those sort of tidying up jobs. Now it's, it's so easy to make the garden look good. At this time of year, get it all tidy. You can and all actually clean. get on top of it yeah, for once. Yes. Yeah, and you can start moving a few things. So yep. I was looking last night, uh, yesterday, thinking, oh, I've got some lily of the valley there that I got from uh, you know a relative years ago. I thought it was a good time. I could probably dig mm. that up still now and move that. So all those perennials and things can yep. be moved and divided. You've still got a little while to go yet, but mm. um, there's lots of things that can be moved. And it's a great way to uh, increase the winners in your garden. You know, the plants that do well, divide them and increase them. It's a really cheap and easy way to, um, you know, improve your garden. And honestly, I think I think for so many plants, they look so much better mass planted. Mm. So if you can increase your numbers in things, particularly, as you say, that are, are suited to your, your local soil and your climate, mm. um, it's a great way to go. Yeah, look, I was down in um, Hobart last week and... Uh, under the trees in the botanic gardens there, they've just got swathes of Helleborus, mm-hmm. um, both um, Fetidus and um, uh, just your regular Hellebore, um, and it looked amazing. Mm. They'd all been cleaned up, so they really didn't have any old leaf yep. at all, um, and there was just oh, maybe 30 square metres under a tree. Wow. Gee, it looked good. Oh, and, yes. and a multitude of colours, not trying to be careful about having all white or whatever, but the multitude of colours looked really good as well. Mm. Yeah. It was cold down there. <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> I think the beanie seller at Salamanca Market was doing a roaring trade. <laughs> so were you there for a, a job? No, no, we were there um, again for the footy. <laughs> we we went, uh, we booked it at the start of the year because the kids always wanted to see the footy in Launceston. Oh, right. Which, and so did I. It's just great. It's like going to a country football game. Yes. It's just bizarre. You can hear individuals yelling out, mm. you know, mm. to the umpire. And you, don't have, you don't have all the cars parked around the outside no. of the oval and people sitting in their cars watching uh, the match. Well, I was no, talking to a lady, not quite. not quite, I was talking to a lady <laughs> beside me who said it's not that long ago that you did that yes. and tooted the horn from the car. Yes. <laughs> it's not long ago at all. But, yeah, you could park in the middle of town mm. and walk there. Mm. And uh, it was a bumper crowd of 16,700 people. Wow. That would have been great. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was really good. And, and Launceston, you know, and in the, in the gardens. And so we drove from Hobart to Launceston. Okay. And just the gardens and the gr- how green it is down mm. there. It's oh, yes. just fabulous. Yes. Um, and Hobart itself is looking so nice, mm. the botanical gardens and... And so and the kids wanted to see the veggie patch at the Botanic Gardens. Of course. Of course. So, so that was really good. So when they see it on TV now, they can, yep. they can say, oh, we've been there. Um, so that was really nice. But um, yeah, Hobart itself is just a magnificent place. And, and, and the gardens there are really nice. Mm-hmm. The, the way they look after it and the tidiness and so on of the, the streetscapes is really, really, you know, really good. Yes. Yeah, we love it. Yes. It's also, I mean, I've, I lived in Hobart for two years and then up in Devonport for, um, you know, about another eight years or so. So I was in Tassie for 10 years all up and just a wonderful place. Um, it's, it's, the pace of life is just that much quieter. It's great for, for bringing up young children there and, mm. and they had the experiences of um, going up to nearby farms up in the mountains where there was no electricity, you know, milking goats by hand, doing mm. all the... 
turning back the clock, but just having a great time. Mm. So um, it, it's, I've got a very, you know, soft spot for, for dear old Tassie. Yes. Well, they've got the modernity of Mona now as well. Oh, yes. Mm. Did um, you go there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm. that was that was part of the reason why we went to Hobart, really, to, to have a look at Mona. Mm. Um, it is an eye-opener, mm. that's for sure. Um, but, again, the, the landscape and the way the plants are used around it and the way you enter – like the architecture and the landscape architecture there is worth seeing as okay, well. So without even going into the museum. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, That's it great. really is. You enter it from the boat and you really just go through a, you know, the sandstone cutting and up right. about 80 stairs, I suppose. And then there's a little roof garden on your left with a pig face draping down rusty walls, which looks fantastic. Mm. Um, and then as you get up into there, just the way they've used the space – um, has been really, really well done mm. and mixing it with sculpture mm. and, and so on. So, yeah, if you don't go in, it's still worth just having a wander around the external part. Okay. Yeah, it's really, really well done. Excellent. Beautifully done. Yep. Mm. We've just had a phone call on the outside line to say it's minus four degrees in Kyneton. And this is the third morning of minus three, minus four. So <laughs> everyone's cold out there. Well, it's good for killing off the bugs, isn't it? Well, that's what I yes. used to love about gardening in Ballarat was mm. that you really would get the cold, the proper cold in winter, and it would kill off a lot of the problems that you that you have in the mm. garden. So, so what are the things yeah. in particular that it would that it would knock out? Uh, look, I think things like. Um, you know, the aphids wouldn't be there all year round. Mm. So, that you know, you'd get a fresh start each spring. So there were quite a lot of things that mm. just would disappear in the cold. I mean, there were, some of them were probably still there in egg form or in, in, mm. in a different form. But, you know, they they gave you a break from having to deal with it, whereas I find near the water, you it's 12 months of the year that you've got pests in the garden. Um, so that's mm. one of the differences. Yeah, we went to, went up to Mount Hotham a few weeks ago and, and the others had a ski on the, the mm. little bit of snow that was there and I went bushwalking. It was the most beautiful bushwalking up in the high country mm. I've had for a long time because it was five degrees. Right. It was still mm. and it was sunny. Yeah. And that cold was amazing because on the paths, um, on, on the, 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 the bushwalking tracks, where the, the wombats, I guess, had been digging up the ground, the ice had lifted the ground ah. and lifted it, you mm. know, a, a couple of inches. Mm. So when you're walking along, you're actually crunching and sinking down those couple of inches, just these shards of ice, vertical mm. shards of ice all the way along the track in places. Mm. Um, and it look, that's a great walking track if anyone want, likes walking, um, if you can get, get to Hotham just before the snow sort of starts. Um, there's just it's like a garden. Mm-hmm. Um, the walk it's sort of in the direction of Dinner Plain, but you're off to the left of the road um, down an old water race where the um, miners in the 1920s or something diverted creeks, and so it's it's like a it's like a big gutter, I suppose, which has all been revegetated just naturally, and it's all just Dianella. So you've got Dianella Tasmanica, you know, right up the hill mm, and wow. right down below you. Um, and it really is like a garden. Mm. It's, it's interesting when you do walks like that. I mean, there's lots of, we've got some fabulous walks through native bush, but one of the things that you can observe is how the native plants grow in the wild. And we mm. were talking before about mass planting and things like seeing the Dianella as mm. a mass planting That's in the right. wild can teach you what's going to look good in the garden um, mm. as well. And that, 
it's one of the reasons why it's it's you know quite apart from the sort of enjoying the walk. But mm. when you're out looking at those sort of things, you can you can get some really good ideas about the sort of things that you want to put into your own garden. Too. Yeah, that's right. I, there's a there's a great drive between Canberra and Batemans Bay. I think it's the, the King's Highway or something like that, where you go through an area of spotted gum, mm. and it's only spotted gum, mm. and it's only cycads mm. on the ground. Mm. Uh, and that is an amazing look as well. Again, yeah. because it's very simple. So it's very pleasing to yeah. the eye, which is not unlike lawn. Yeah. It's why people like lawn, because it's that lovely deep green and it's a big expanse. Uh, and just with vertical elements of trees coming out of it, it's just got a nice feel. And the spotted gum trunks are so beautiful. Aren't oh, they? just gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Just, that, that's, I think, probably one of the best landscapes I've seen in Australia. Mm. That section through there. It's not a very long section, but it's absolutely worth the drive mm. to go down there mm. yeah but um yeah up around Ho- and of course there's no one walking at, at, mm. at that time of year up around yeah. hotham yeah. so um you know i was virtually on my own the whole time and it was just just so nice mm. and the birds were still getting around um and uh, you know the the snow grass and so on in some of the areas and the little soaks and mm. Just, it's just, just beautiful. Yeah, really, really great place. Excellent. Mm. Now, Penny, you've just recently returned from Ireland. I have. Yes. <laughs> it was a, a bit of a spur of the moment decision, and and I went with my daughter, and we just hired a car and drove around Ireland for three weeks. And we, she's a medieval history nut, um, and. So we visited um, medieval sites all over Ireland and gardens all over Ireland, and we just sort of went where. We felt like going and, and uh, we had such a good time. It was just lovely. One of the things that surprised me about Ireland um, when you've sort of read about all the problems that they've had you know, financially um, is how fabulous it's looking. There's real effort gone into making the towns look good. Um, every town that you drive into has, um, certainly at that time of the year that we were there, have beautiful baskets of flowers. So at the entrance signs... Along the village streets, mm. um, hanging baskets. They even one town made a thing of having um, bikes with baskets on the front and baskets on the back, and they'd been painted, and they were all over the town. Wow. And it wasn't just it wasn't just one town who was doing it. It was everywhere that we went in these little villages, had these big baskets of of flowers that had been planted up, and some some. Obviously, the villagers had done, but others, because I started asking people, you know, what are these all doing here? And it it was a count, a lot of it, it's the council. They decided they wanted their towns and their areas to look fabulous. And um, so obviously someone is making a lot of money growing these baskets full of beautiful flowers that the council then buys and puts in place for the, for the spring and summer and into autumn. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was really lovely. A lot of things freshly painted and looking beautiful. The the main things I wanted to see were the edible gardens and I'd done a fair bit of research before I left and sort of found the gardens that I thought I wanted to go and see. I found that with some of those I was quite disappointed because I think when there's a downturn, it's the edible gardens that are harder mm. to maintain than anything else. So in a couple of places, they had clearly not been maintained for several years um, and that was a bit disappointing. There were some beautiful gardens, but I did find there were three gardens that I found that just really stood out. One was a brand new garden um, down in the south of Ireland, just near Tintern Abbey, uh, which is a is a medieval, was a medieval abbey that was um, deconstructed you know, during the 
with with um, Henry VIII. Um, but it wasn't actually right next to it, and we I didn't know anything about it. We just saw a sign saying Walled Garden, so we thought, well, well, we'll walk up there and have a look at it. And it and it was nearly a kilometre away, so it was a long walk through bush, beautiful beech bush with wild with ramsons growing underneath and everything. We finally got to this garden, and it was absolutely stunning, um, full of um, fruit trees. And it had all been done by volunteers. Mm. So all the volunteers with some financial help from a couple of funds and from the local council had all got together and over four years they had recreated this garden the way it was in about 1830. Um, so, and it was just beautiful. There was a little stream running through the middle and mm. bridges over the stream. And, <laughs> but it was just, it was like a secret garden that we yes. sort of found, mm. known nothing about. And it was mm. that was just lovely. And what, um, what was the history of that? Why was it built like, you know, was it well, the, as a kitchen the, garden? Or? The abbey was um, taken <laughs> over by a family by, and they established the as a kitchen garden um, and they, they built the walls and, and this was at the beginning of, of the 1800s mm. and it had stayed in the same family until the, 18, till the 1950s, late 1950s, um, when the one remaining uh, woman who lived there um, gave the whole property to the to the local council effectively, wow. um, and because it was a historic site, being the being the abbey and and you know there had been something built there in the sort of I think it was the tenth or the eleventh century, so you know it went back a long time, um, and they just forgot about the garden. It got left once the once the council took over. They did all that needed to be done for the main site, but the garden got forgotten about. And it was only um, in 2010 that that people got behind it and started sort of to recreate it. And just beautiful. I've actually just written a blog about it, which should be up on the um, Organic Gardener website next week. So um, if, if people are interested, it's called um, Cockley is the name of the family and that's the name of the garden. But that's not how it's spelt. It's spelt C O L G O U G H or something like that. It's, a, it's an Irish name. Um, so that was the first one. The second one was the Botanic Garden in Dublin. Um, fabulous, fabulous Botanic Garden with lots. It started off as an agricultural garden. So there's still a lot of the fruit trees, beautiful, organic, edible walled garden in the middle of the Botanic Gardens. And it's huge, really, really big garden. Um, and with a lot of herbs growing. So that was really mm. exciting to see that. But they also had um, a big wild area where that represented all the different wildflower areas from Ireland. Mm. So that was really interesting as well um, and really well signed. And they had the, they still have the, um, the family beds of plants so that, you know, one plant with all that um, Apiaceae and one plant with oh, yes. all the yep. Lamiaceae and all that sort of thing, and a yep. lot of them were in flower. So it was it was fantastic to see mm. all of those in in one small area, and some beautiful beautiful old greenhouses, a bit like some of the greenhouses at Kew. So that was that was I hadn't realised there was such a good edible garden at the Dublin Botanic Gardens, um, and the final one was just out of Galway, uh, where there is an area called the Burren which is an amazing area of extruded limestone. And um, as it's gradually worn away, it's created cracks in it and it's just full of wildflowers. All the cracks are full of wildflowers. Um, and the reason the wildflowers have survived is because in winter the farmers put the sheep up there to eat all the grasses 
And so there's room for the wildflowers to come through at the beginning of spring when they take the sheep off to mm. take them down. But apparently it's becoming, the work is becoming much too hard in trying to maintain the sheep up there and the farmers <clears throat> don't have time to do it really anymore. So they're gradually withdrawing the sheep in winter and the grasses are looking like they might start taking over, over, which is, yes. you know, you just never know what's going to have enough, you know, and this has mm. been going on for hundreds of years, yes. having the sheep up there. But in the middle of all of this is a place called um, the Perfumery and they collect the wildflowers and they grow the Irish native herbs and they have the most beautiful herb garden there as well. <laughs> so that was that was fabulous. That was that whole day that we spent around there was just mm. lovely. So there were lots of highlights, but for me, for the garden-wise, those, yes. those were the three... Mm. The three highlights. We don't really do edible gardens in botanical gardens here much, apart from Hobart. Apart from, apart Hobart. from Hobart. No, no, well, I was thinking the same thing. <clears throat> that, yeah, we don't. And even even at Cranbourne, for instance, there are some. Um, there's a bit of a nod to some of the useful Australian plants, but I, you know, I think there could probably be more mm. of that. Mm. And um, yeah, yeah, I thought the one at Hobart had increased actually. There was a lot of seemingly a lot of new plantings. They're doing there was a big quite a bit of trialling too. Yes. I think they're growing a lot of garlic there as yes, well. Yes, there was um, garlic they're planted. They're trialling quite a few mm. different cultivars. Yeah, it was there. really good. It looked yeah. like they were really. Yeah. Um, it, it was the best maintained part of the, like, or the most yeah. intensely yes. maintained part of the place yeah. as well, which was really interesting. Mm. I think it was mm. a very interesting place. I to know go. the. I think it's the the Brisbane Botanic Gardens have some big beds with crop plants in them so that they've got pineapples and sugar cane and bananas and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that the, might be in, in the middle of town, is it, in um, where they oh, had Expo? Oh, yeah, that's, that's a new area. Oh, that's, that's new. new area. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, I think that's good too in, in the Expo area. Yeah. Well, that was on yeah. Gardening Australia, yeah, it was wasn't it? was on Gardening Australia. And that was really good yeah. that they had a lot of yeah. those cropping oh, plants where people just see them because yeah. otherwise people don't yeah. know and what got a wheat quite, plant looks some like. Some quite rare ones in there too. Yes. Yeah. yeah, excellent. Yeah. That number again, if you'd like to join us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. 94190155. We have Penny Woodward and Evan Golke in the studio, so do give us a call. As I say, that number, 94190155. Evan, you've brought in a couple of things to talk about. I brought in a couple of things that I went out uh, with the torch last night, and one of them is um, nasturtium, which everyone. Oh, a lot of people grow, I suppose. Yes. Um, but I grow it as basically a ground cover in the orchard. Um, and it just comes back every year and it grows absolutely everywhere. Mm. Um, and you just walk on it where the path is supposed to be. And it just reduces your work, yep. basically. But you will find, won't you, though, if you've had a heavy frost, that it'll be dead because uh, it doesn't tolerate heavy frost. Yeah, we're sort of halfway up the hill. Okay. So we don't get it really heavy. We, yeah. There's about um, a two or three degree difference between our place and a mm. kilometre down mm. the hill. Um, so, so I've never had it die okay. off from frost. Yeah. Um, uh, but I just love the way it just comes back. Yeah. And covers the ground entirely, mm. and mm. it just means there's no work. <laughs> I'm all, all for things like that. Yeah, yes. that's right. And it looks really good. Yeah, and uh, and the other thing is parsley mm. that has just now become you know so self sown throughout mm. my orchard area that uh, it's just in huge swathes, mm. um, and it comes up and it's there for a few years, and mm. 
and then it dies back and but, it and self-sows so easily. The good thing about parsley is when it's in flower, it's really attractive to beneficial insects mm. as well. So it's okay. it's great at bringing all your hoverflies and lace wings and those sort of things mm. into the garden. Yeah. So I just think it's uh, it's one of those things, you know, trying to keep orchards tidy and clean mm. and so on mm. is a really difficult job. But if you can cover the ground with things that don't get too tall, yep. um, and don't, especially if you're espaliering mm. trees, as I am, so you don't want anything that's much over knee high, really. Mm. Um, you know, things like nasturtium are really, really good, mm. and and they they just come back, they come mm. back, and they mm. they grow so quickly. Um, and they, you can they eat so them. Very, and you can eat them. That's right. Yeah, I had I had a guy in the garden the other day who's who is a chef, and he's just walking around plucking things and sticking them in his mouth. And, and at one stage, I said to him, "Do you actually know what you're putting in your mouth?" He said, "Oh no, but it looked quite good." You know. <laughs> Well, I don't think I'd recommend that. Well, I did. I said she started sucking on a lobelia, and I thought, well, I actually don't know yeah. if that's an edible plant or not. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and the other thing, the other couple of things I brought in, but one of them is Daphne because Daphne is the great plant at this time. Of oh, year. it is. Yes. And for for quite a few years, we were having trouble buying Daphne. Because I think there was, they were having trouble getting virus-free stock. Mm, that's right. Mm. So for quite a few years, there was virtually no Daphne on the market. But it's well and truly back now. And it is just such a great and versatile plant. Mm. The only thing that really kills it is wet feet. Yeah. It just doesn't like that. But mm. apart from that, you can get so many years out of a, out of a um, Daphne plant uh, in fact, they don't like – one of the good things about wet feet, at one of the schools we look after, we had a, a bed of, of Daphne under um, under maples. And I couldn't work out – a couple died and then mm. a couple more died. And in the end, I thought I'd better start having a bit of a dig around. Sure enough, there was a water leak. Uh. So so the water yeah. leak was located because the plants indicated mm. that yes, it was getting right. too wet. Right. And that leak must have been there for mm. a long, long time. Mm. It was under the building and oh. it had just managed to start seeping out. Mm. But um, so, yeah, plants can be great indicators yep. of, of yep. problems that are going mm. on. Um, gas leaks too, obviously, mm. kill street trees because mm. it, it moves the, the uh, oxygen out, mm. displaces yes. the yes. oxygen out of the soil. Yep. Um, but look, Daphne's, I just think people should use them more because they are just such a wonderful plant. They're a great green. They tolerate amazing variety they of conditions. They actually tolerate a lot of dry. They do. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yep. So they're quite tough. Mm. They're one of those plants they, that you'll see in old gardens under the eaves. Yeah. Yes. Still yeah. thriving. Yes. And that, but they don't really like to be moved, do they? So when you, once you've got them planted, you need to put them in where they're going to stay because yep. you don't really want to be digging them up and moving them. No, they're definitely yep. difficult to move. That's probably their only downside. But I think cutting them back too, I mean, you can see with this one, the amount of shoots yeah. on that under lots the flower, lots and lots of them. So you can cut them. And I think it's important to cut them and take the flowers inside and make little posies out of them. Um, and it keeps the bushes nice and tight. Yes, yes. Mm. I've got a white one in the garden and that's just the perfume is just absolutely mm. beautiful mm. and it it I mean it gets absolutely no attention in my garden at all and every year there it is it's now out in flower again and it's it's wonderful. Mm. Well there's some newer varieties around and so on too but um there's nothing that beats the original species one. <laughs> 
for perfume. Oh, yes, Adora. Yes, yes. yes. Um, I, I think, you know, it's all very well to have uh, lovely new hybrids and this and that, but the, the, the straight species is definitely still mm. the best one mm. in, in all aspects, I mm. think. Mm. Excellent. Now, what else have you got there? Well, I've got, um, I've got a, a, a spiky one. Um, it's a Berberus. Um, it's one we bought from Yamina Rare Plants years ago, and uh, it's it's got the most wonderful orange, yellow it's flowers. Beautiful, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it's just a stunning, stunning flower. Um, they they flower on the on the tips, so the last sort of six inches, I suppose, of each branch. It has small little holly leaf like leaves, and they are a little bit spiky. It's the sort of plant that if you prune it. You don't leave the prunings on the ground right. um, to pick them up later because it will kill you okay. <laughs> trying to pick yes. them up uh, because once they're dry, they, they are just terrible. Um, but it's, it's Berberus darwinii, and so it's a great little – and it's an evergreen Berberus, um, evergreen shrub. Uh, it, it gets up to about one and a half metres, um, but it's just a great plant for this time of year. To have a, a, a really nice flower at this time of year, um, I, I think that the golden yellow colour, orangey yellow, is mm. is one of the best. Mm. Mm. It's 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 incredibly bright. Yeah. I mean, mm. it's yeah. almost iridescent mm. in its colouring, isn't it? Mm. It's almost and it's a reddy orange. Too, yes, isn't mm. it? it's beautiful. Orange yes, yellow. yes, yeah. yeah. And it's not a plant you see around very much, but it certainly is available mm. up at your minor. Or I guess what sort it's of still size is. does it get to? It gets to about one and a half meters, okay. but it also uh, clips really well. So it prunes really, really well and mm. clips well. Um, so there's no reason why you can't keep it keep it shorter, right? Um, and a little bit tighter. So mm. general conditions for that, Evan? Well, we've grown it in a variety of conditions, both quite uh, quite dry um, with, a, with a little bit of supplementary irrigation. And at my garden, it just grows um, just in the, with no attention whatsoever. Right. It's actually just over on the boundary in a garden mm. that is more or less relatively free-draining clay. Yep. So it grow, I think it's a very, very versatile plant. Yes. Excellent. Um, we originally bought it to grow in a garden as a small hedge, and it does hedge quite well. Okay. Um, but if you want lots of flowers, it's better to leave it grow as a as a full mm. shrub. Yes, yes. Mm, mm. Okay. Yeah, so it's Berberus darwinii. Mm. Mm, to ripper. Excellent. We might go to our first call, and we've got Hugh from the Yarra Valley online. Good morning, Hugh. Oh, panel, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, the panel, and good morning, Victoria. I got uh, two problems which I can't solve. Uh, one is a cherry tree. It's a flowering cherry tree. It is uh, six to eight inch in diameter, roughly. It is a seven foot, eight foot tall. Has the graft at the top, and it is hollow. It is standing there like a paper paper roll towel. It's a paper paper roll. Uh, you know, you're sort of the cardboard, very hollow, right? right. Mm. Now, and this hollowness goes from the soil level right up to the very top past the graft. But the tree somehow is surviving well. I have painted it, I cleaned it up inside and so on and so forth. But I can't solve the problem at the soil level. The hollow, excuse me, <coughs> The hollow of the trunk is um, 
below soil level. That means the rainwater stands in it. Mm. And I want to fill that up so that the, um, the, the rainwater does not stand inside the hollow trunk because I fear it will go down further the root system and then the whole tree will collapse. And I have to save the tree whether I like it or not. I just have to. It's a difficult thing to deal with, um, <coughs> rotting out like that. Um, I think the downside of filling it is that if it does get water in it, it'll never dry out, because you, and it will get water in it. Um, I think in the past you'll see old trees around with concrete even yes. in them, um, and I don't think that's a solution in my opinion. Um, I guess there is the opportunity if you do fill it that maybe it might callous over, but if it's not growing vigorously, the chances of it callousing over are fairly slim. Um, so I guess the idea is to try and um, drain it. I, I think that's what I would do if it's so precious, um, the tree. I would probably try and drain the hole if that's possible yeah, um, I because can. I don't think filling it will actually, unless you can put an umbrella over the whole tree, you're not going to stop the moisture getting into it and that will just increase the humidity in the hole and, and probably and, make and it And wherever worse. you fill it, you're going to get water collecting on top of the filling, which will then, around the edges, will mm. cause sort of more rot. That's what happens. So, yeah. Mm. It's, and, yeah. Yep. Well, what if I... Well, we had the problem after World War II in Europe with trees, which we wanted to save for one reason or another. And uh, we always filled them up with concrete. Mm. And I'm talking of oak trees, which were, say, sort of 500 years old and so on and so forth. And um, eventually we filled them up with, with concrete, but concrete over there does not have the gravel in it. It's only sand and, and, um, and cement, right? And um, I have done it with a birch, uh, but it was above soil level. But uh, I thought maybe there is some sort of plaster, if I can fill it in and then perhaps a foot above soil level, fill it, uh, uh, put glad wrap around the whole trunk so that the rain doesn't get in and, or something like that. Mm, I think you're going to struggle, really. I mean, you could try it. Um... But well, yeah, look, putting glad wrap round means that you're not getting air to the trunk, which you know will probably increase fungal problems. So I'd be a bit hesitant about doing that for any length of time. Okay, well, I ha I have only one solution then to take mortar, ordinary mortar, a very uh, weak mix of mortar, and then I thought of a paint, which is a tile paint. Um, some some builders use uh, tile paint uh, before on the bearers before they put the um, uh, the boards down, and I thought to fill it with uh, mortar and then tile paint so that the water can't get into the root system. Um, look, Hugh, the chances are if it keeps going the way it is, you're going to lose it. So if you want to try something like that, I can't see any reason for not trying it really yeah. Mm -hmm. um it, yeah i guess the other option if you're really having trouble trying to fill the hole you could fill it up with foam expandable foam I couldn't hear it. you Put could it fill it with, with expandable foam, foam. And, and then paint over that if you wanted to um th at least that would fill every real little nook and cranny but you would have to seal it 
yes. at the top. What expendable foam. Mm, you buy it in a, in a can. In a can. Mm. Ex- spray uh, it in and it I just expands. I go to a hardware shop and ask for expendable foam. Yeah, that, that maybe that would work, but you would have to seal it at the top somehow and maybe with bitumen paint you could do that. But I, anyway, as, as Penny says, if, you're probably going to lose it anyway, so it's worth trying. Well, I try everything I can before I sort of sort of give in, you know. Mm. Yes, yeah. of mm. course. Mm. Yeah. Now, the other question I have is I got several books on bulbs. Uh, one is a big American one and one is Australian one and so on and so forth, but you wouldn't believe it. Nobody tells me anything about Arisema, which is a calm, and um, it's a little bit of a tricky calm. It's sort of, um, it is flat at the top, and it is half round towards the bottom. And the, the roots come out from the top, as does the stem, which eventually carries the flower and the leaf and so on and so forth. But the roots then will go all the way around the comb and go past the comb downwards. In other words, there is no root coming from the calm at the bottom. Now, that's the arisema. Now, the problem I have is I, I dug them out a while ago, and they're shooting, and uh, some of them are shooting, have little, little sort of pips coming out, but I don't know how deep to plant them. Some people compare the arisema with an arum, and they say it's the same family as the arum. And somebody in one of my books says you plant arums four inches down, would you believe? Is there anybody who can sort of give me some advice? Well, I do know that it's a, a very tough plant um, and uh, can, can really sort of take off in gardens. So I don't know that it's going to be particularly fiddly. Um, I would have planted it probably the depth of the, of the bulb. I don't think I'd go any deeper than that. I'd just plant at the depths of the yeah, bulb. The aracemas I've got in my garden are planted yeah about the depths of the bulb, so not mm. that far below the surface of the soil. Mm. Mm. And that but should it, be fine. It, it depends a bit on which one you've got because some of them are almost weedy, so that mm, really, right. really no matter what you do with them, they're going to grow. Um, so do you know which aracema it is? Well, that is the problem because um, I duck them out and I put each comb separately into a little um, seven-inch pot and then put the label in it. But by accident, the whole caboodle uh, tipped over, the box tipped over, and all the combs fell out. The labels are lying on the side. And and now I don't know exactly what I have. Sounds like my apple trees. I labeled them all when they went in and the labels faded and I... (laughs) Didn't yeah. write it down. So there's a few I still don't know what they are. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is really a nightmare. <laughs> it is. Oh, yes. But um, it, it, that is actually why I'm ringing, because the one, one bulb book says four inches for arums. Somebody says arosema is an arum. I wouldn't plant them four inches deep. I no. just think you, you risk losing them. If You can't um, go wrong planting them shallower, but you can go wrong planting things deeper, I would have thought. So if it's shallower, the, the risk is it might dry out. Um, but if you keep the water up to it, then that's not going to be a problem. So to hedge your bets, I would certainly put them 
uh, shallower yeah. rather than deeper. Well, uh, perhaps I haven't been very explicit. They're going back into pots, in deep pots, you know, um, not shallow, ordinary pots. I have purchased particularly deep pots uh, so that they go into there. Um, it shouldn't make any difference, shouldn't it? No. No. I, look, I, I would put them in, uh, as we said, about the depth of the bulb into the soil because even if they're deep pots, they still need that depth for the root growth. So, um, yeah, I'd be putting them just below the surface. And if you've got a lot of them, I mean, maybe you could experiment and put some of them just below the surface and some a bit deeper and see what happens. Yeah, well, that is the old trick I usually use. <laughs> well, anyway, thanks very much for helping me, panel, and I will try that with the expandable foam um, because that tree is of, of um, great significance to me and I try to save it, although I have lots and lots of other flowering <clears throat> cherry trees and I could very easily place it but for one reason or another I just want to keep it at all costs so I will see what I can do and I let you know how I did get on. Yes, mm. please do. Sounds great here. Thank Thanks you. Okay. Thanks bye. very much for helping me, panel. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> Pam, yes. you, you may well have already discussed this on the program and, and um, but I came across this article. Actually, Ellen, my daughter, alerted me to it about um, Melbourne's trees and the fact that they, the Melbourne City Council has now given a, a separate number to every single tree in Melbourne. Have you discussed this already? Not in any great length. Okay. Well, apparently what's been happening, and this is an article that the BBC has written about, and I knew nothing about it, um, Initially, they set it up so that people who were concerned about you know, nearby trees in the streets could get in touch with the council and let them know that tree number whatever yes. um, is having problems. And you can actually get on the website and there's a whole map of it. Mm. But over the last two years, um, what they've, what's actually happened is that people are emailing the trees. Oh, good heavens. Which I think is just amazing. <laughs> People who've got nearby trees yes. to them or they walk past them every day are now getting on the website and they're sending actual emails to the trees. So there's one here in, the, in this article that says, Dearest Golden Elm, I finally found you. I see you every day on my way to uni, but I had no idea what kind of tree you are. You are the most beautiful tree in the city and I love you. <laughs> and tree hugging they, to the next level. I know. I just, I just think it's so exciting. I got, I read this article and I just thought, um, you know, this is amazing. So um, they said that about three thousand emails have been sent to individual trees in the last two years. This didn't start out as an exercise in sentiment, but a hard-headed attempt by Melbourne City Council to manage an urban forest in decline. As a result of the drought, forty percent of the seventy-seven thousand trees in Australia's Garden City were struggling or dying. So that they wanted people to let them know what was yes. happening with their trees. So they mapped them all um, and then something extraordinary happened. Instead of identifying a tree in need of attention and emailing the council to get it done, people in Melbourne began sending personal messages to the trees. That's great. <laughs> That is great. And, uh, another one. As I was leaving St Mary's <clears throat> College today, I was struck not by a branch but by your radiant beauty. You must, <laughs> you must get these messages all the time. You're such an attractive tree. <laughs> and oh, I, just, 
I just I love it when people do you know weirdly eccentric things like this. It just makes me feel. But really Penny, good how it. how fantastic that people are appreciating our trees. Oh, absolutely. Mm. I just you know I think and and you then, will then find that if the council wants to extend a road or remove a tree, you can have all these people who've written <laughs> to it for the last three years. Yes, who'll be up in arms about it. <laughs> Someone was writing to one of the gum trees, ID one zero three two zero zero two, and said, um, "Dear gum." Sorry, apologies <laughs> if this is not the address you prefer. <laughs> um, if you want to read the article, the the it's on the BBC um, website. So okay. you, I, I I can't really give you the actual address, but you would find it there. But the actual council website uh, where you can actually see see the map of the trees. So I'm just going to have to find for you. It's down the bottom. So it's called the Melbourne Tree Male Phenomenon is the title of the, uh, yeah. of the article. Um, okay. Oh, no, I can't find the actual website. Look, but I'm sure that if you, if you just Google... Um, that's great, isn't it? Because there are just some Melbourne iconic trees yeah, that, yeah. that you know people travel past yeah. every day of their life. But the nice thing is that every single one of them now has a number, so that yes. you can email any of them. So yes. even if there's one that's not looking very happy, you can send it an email to cheer it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, or more specifically, alert the council well, members. Indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, I wish yes. that ha- would happen out at Glen Harrow. Um, Glen Harrow is a is a is a um, a property. Just up the hill from Puffing Billy, mm. um, and uh, I actually studied that property for my final thesis uh, at Burnley, um, and labelled all the trees and and, and so on. And it, it was built by um, a nurseryman who had his um, nursery in Hawthorne between Taronga Road and Auburn Road, and there are still streets there after him. There's mm. Cole Street, Cole Avenue. Um, Mount Ida, which was that was an area that um, he came from, I think. Um, now this this garden has some fabulous big trees. So apart from it, camellias as well, like monstrous, um, has some um, really really good conifers, and it's now a trees adventure place. Okay. Um, and the the home tree is the old oak. It's there, and it is a massive tree, but it's now got people clambering all around mm. it. And um, I was there with with our kids, and uh, I, I didn't do it, but I was walking around, and there was the massive stump of a um, sequoia dendron giganteum, which I remember quite well mm. as a very healthy tree. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the change of um, environment. Yep. The, uh, yep. Around the trees, mm. um, the amount of foot traffic that it, mm-hmm. it had no foot traffic prior mm. to that. Um, I remember going there. They did ask me to go there when when they were considering it, and I think they were looking for somebody to support them in VCAT, and, and uh, not that I knew it at the time, but um, I just said to them, I just didn't think it was a very good idea. Yeah, <laughs> and, for um, the, as far as and, the trees, and that, and that was the end of it. I didn't uh, I didn't go back there again. Um, but look, it's a it's a real shame. I mean, it's good in some ways because people are going there, mm. and are, people are, are swinging. Are any of the trees on the significant <clears throat> tree register? Well, they were applied for, but I mm. don't know whether they ever did it. Okay, you know, and it, um, and I suspect they didn't. Otherwise, mm. it would never have gone ahead. 
Um, but it, it's just a real shame. It was just really sad to see that stump. I mean, we're talking something with a diameter of maybe eight feet. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, big, big yes. tree. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there's some sequoias in there. There's um, uh, some Douglas firs, really big Douglas firs. As you first come in from the Puffing Billy side, if you sort of walk down that boundary, you can see some massive Douglas firs there. Mm. Um, and... Uh, and and some other quite quite unusual trees. There's one there called a Cupaniopsis, which is there's not that many around in Australia. Mm. I remember at the time when I was doing it, uh, and it was dubbed the Gremlin tree because it was it's just such a fabulous tree. The way the branches come out horizontally. Mm. I remember as a student, you could actually climb that tree, sit on the top. Yeah, you know, it was that that sort of structure. Wow. Mm. Um, thankfully, that's still there, but there was a there was, and it's not in the main zone. Mm. But there was another one as well, and that's now essentially dead. Um, right. They cut it right back to put a flying fox over it. Oh and, no! And um, and that's essentially dead now. So, and and the other thing that was there was masses of Cardiocrinum giganteum, which is a Himalayan lily, um, and I couldn't find one. Okay. <laughs> so, and and that's an unusual plant. And I remember that when I was studying it, there had been articles written about it because there's very few places where it uh, naturalizes, mm. and it had naturalized in this garden. Um, I mean, it was more a forest than a garden. Mm. Um, and uh, it, I just don't think they're there anymore. Mm. They're all it's gone. It's sad the way things change. It's just, just terrible. Yeah. Yes. You know, and I did see them on a list from a guy down in Hobart at Salamanca mm. Market the other day. So I might buy some for home mm. uh, to get them growing. But they're a magnificent lily. They, they are deciduous, um, but they come up with sort of big round leaves um, that are sort of, I don't know, maybe 400 above the ground. And then the flower spike is about 1.8 metres tall, tall. Wow. They're a massive mm. spike. Uh, with with cream bells mm. all over them, it's just yeah, it's just a real shame. You know, I, I was belting through, through. Kids were off flying around, and I was belting through the place looking for all looking for where trees. I knew they were. Yeah. yeah. Um. And and look, I just don't think they're there anymore. Yeah. It's just just such a shame. Mm. Um. You know, maybe someone sold them. You know, Could it's be. possible. Yeah. That someone maybe dug them up. Maybe someone stole them. established somewhere else. Yeah. 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 Let's hope. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. But they're certainly not there anymore. But I, look, yeah. I think one of the things that I, I really liked about <clears throat> reading this article about Melbourne Council is the fact that they are actually on a re, uh, replanting. They, they want to put in something like 30,000 more trees. Mm. And I just think that's fantastic that people are recognising how important trees are to our cities and to livability and to, you know, everything that happens in the city and, uh, you know, keeping temperatures down and mm. global warming and everything, mm. you know. Mm. So it's great that we have a council that is so proactive mm. and, and um, getting trees back into the ground because we're losing so many through development that it's really important that we nurture the ones that we've got and get more into the ground. Mm. Mm, that's right. So. Well, I think the nursery and garden industry actually did a valuation yeah. of the trees around mm. Melbourne and it's some staggering figure mm. what they're actually worth. worth. Mm. Yeah, yes. as far as heating costs and you know, exactly. absolutely everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. of course, all this fits very nicely with, um, with their current campaign, their 2020, 2020. vision um, of really trying to, to uh, build up urban... Um, greening to cool down our cities, and it's just so important. Yeah, oh. yeah. 
Oh, sorry, I was just <laughs> sorry, I was just handed an article um, from. That's Megan Backhouse's article from yesterday. Oh, it's from yesterday. Age. Oh, yeah. right. So it's yeah. it's um, it's about the uh, the uh, cemetery. Burundara Cemetery. Burundara oh, right. Cemetery okay. in in Kew. Um, and uh, it's it's a garden or it's, it's a place that we've been doing a lot of work at over now, uh, ooh, about six months, right. seven months. And uh, oh, look, it's a fabulous place. I think I talked about it last time I was in here. Um, what a fabulous place it is and what, what – um, mm. It um, sounds – if you read the article, it's a, yeah, it sounds absolutely fascinating. It really is. And, and Helen, Helen Page yeah. there has been uh, photographed and she is such a goer. Uh, she is just behind this place, you know, 110% and uh, well, she's, has she, a passion for it. She's trying to reestablish it as the sort of wild garden that <clears> it used to be but <throat> in the last 10 or 15 years because of poisons being used to keep weeds under control. It's just become a sort of desert. Mm. So, But there's still some valuable trees and some mm. things left. So that's what you and she have obviously been working towards. That's right. And yeah, they've no, been, it's a good article if people want to read it. She's been propagating a lot of the roses, the mm. old roses that are there. So mm. we're, we're planting them back in places mm. so sporadically mm. around they'll, they'll be there. It's a, it's a really challenging uh, job mm. uh, that we've become involved in there. But it's, um, but it's a lot of fun yeah. because it's – it's just the most uh, fabulous place, and, yeah. and it's got the most fabulous um, plants in it. There's a wonderful weeping elm there that um, I think with the help of volunteers, she's been getting uh, – Helen has been getting volunteers from around the area to come and help and primarily to do those sort of really hard yards jobs that, that you know, like getting ivy because there's a lot of ivy sort mm, of attacking yes, trees and, right. and sort of um, – uh, running over old grave sites and this and that, and of course it's a it's a journey of discovery when they pull mm. these um, mm. areas of ivy out. But one of the things that they they sort of um, made more available was this weeping elm, and it's a huge old weeping elm. You can get right in under it now, and it's mm. just beautiful. Mm. Um, but she's doing a wonderful job, and and I think anyone who's looking to take their dog for a walk or whatever, you know, go go around the Burundara Cemetery. Um, because it is just a fabulous place, if for nothing else, just a historical value. One of the, one of the great things about it is that, unlike the Melbourne Cemetery, where um, they, the space between the roads and the first graves in the Melbourne Cemetery, I guess through the 80s and 90s, was filled up with big mm. black granite... Um, uh, slabs. Uh, yeah, slabs. Um, and so all the older ones are sort of hidden behind, mm. and it's really confronting when you when you uh, mm. sort of walk through there. A lot of the areas at Melbourne, um, but Q hasn't had that happen. Mm. So they've still got that that wonderful space and and feeling of space around and it's, it. It's fabulous the way so many cemeteries are gardens <clears> as well. Mm. Um, you know, I think that's really special, and they're they're places where. Indigenous plants have survived yes. as well. Um, they're really important for that, as as well as um, being being you know gardens in mm. their own right. That's right. And I think yeah. that's one of the things that Helen is particularly conscious of is the fact that with the, all the roundup use and so on, or the indiscriminate roundup use, mm. um, that maybe a lot of the indigenous stuff has has mm. slowly disappeared. Mm. There is a really nice uh, dianella there that will propagate and spread around the place. Mm. Um, but there's there's very little else I think in the way of indigenous stuff that mm. well th- th- it is there but not there in great numbers yeah yeah but um, one of the things that there is a lot of is is 
uh, gazanias. And I know gazanias are more or less a weed, but it makes the place look amazing. Yeah, when they're in flower. It Absolutely. Looks yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a different thinking, uh, you know, it's a, a different way of going about gardening, working mm. at this place and being involved in this mm. place because um, – you do have to look at things that are very much self-sustaining, mm. things that you probably wouldn't plant in your own garden because they'll take over. Mm. Um, but in a, in a space like this, that's okay. Yeah, It's okay to let them go and let yeah. them self-sow and pop up over there and over there and over there. That's all fine. So, so it's a very different thing. But um, the first area we did around the crypts, which is where that photograph is taken, um, just looks great now. If you walk in the gate off High Street and uh, into there, it just looks fabulous. Mm. And, of course, it, it assists them in, in selling the, the last of the crypt spaces and so on. So it's, it's, mm. not, it's not just purely for um, making the place you know, look good. But it's also, yeah. of course, it's a business. And for it to sustain that, they have to keep selling these things. Mm. And, and if these places are to remain in good condition and... Um, and keep their historical value, they have to have that income coming in. Yes. Um, so it's really important uh, that people support their cemeteries mm-hmm. and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and pe- pe- you know, obviously the people of QR, because she, she's getting volunteers coming back time and time again to help pull off Ivy here and pull off mm-hmm. Ivy there. And, and they're having a good time. It's a great community activity and people mm-hmm. are getting to know each other. Yeah, so it's great. Well... Uh, our good friend Kevin Walsh, of course, who's mm. now um, head of horticulture with Greater Metropolitan mm. Cemeteries Trust. Um, one of his his big pushes is to really open up these these cemetery gardens to the public, and <clears throat> and as such, he now runs annually um, rose pruning demonstrations, for instance, in in the gardens, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's just enticing people to come in. Whereas um, before, it was almost not taboo, but mm. but people just would never dream of walking through a, mm. a cemetery garden. No. Um, and I was saying that that in in Eltham we've got the most um, beautiful Gordon Ford waterfall really? in Eltham Cemetery. Mm. You know, and it's just a a beautiful, peaceful place to be mm. on a hot, particularly on a hot summer's day. Mm. Just lovely. Mm. Yeah. Well, the thing about it too is they're big open spaces. I think this is something like 20 acres or yes. or something. Mm. It's a massive space. There's a lot space. of land. In the yes. middle of the city. Yeah, yeah. in yeah. the middle of the city. Yeah. It's a great big breathing space. Yes. Um, and the other thing I think she's been doing, she's been running tours. So I think she had. A, she was telling me she was doing a tour for um, uh, businessmen. She was doing a okay. businessman tour. So she was going around looking at the old businessmen uh, that, okay. that, that are kind of buried there and the history that, yeah. that they're involved in. So there's lots of interesting things that you can do. Oh, you just definitely. have to think outside the box. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is what she's doing. Yeah. Okay, we'll go to uh, Sue, who's in Nariwaran North. Good morning, Sue. Oh, good morning, everybody. Um, did you get a frost this morning, Evan? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, but you probably did. Yes, first time, <laughs> first time for a long time. Um, uh, My eyes were still shut when I got to the car. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the front and the bird bus frozen over. Oh, I just wanted right. to ask Penny about rosemary. Yes, Sue. Um, my rosemary's got really big and scraggy. How far can I cut it back? Um, don't go all the way back into old wood. Oh, okay. I but, might have to restart, I think. Cause yeah, look, uh, if, you, if you're going to sort of hack into it, 
um, take some cuttings first yeah, and then hack into it because sometimes it'll reshoot from old wood and sometimes it won't. Mm. Oh, okay. Um, and, and if you can sort of do it selectively, so if you do need to go back into the old wood, take you know, two or three branches out that go right back and then cut the others not back quite so far. Yeah, I might actually take some cuttings first before yeah. I'll, um, yeah, I'll hack back a little bit, but not too much. Yeah. I might have to replace it because I didn't cut it back, you know, Early regular. on, yeah. They need to be just, you know, pruned back. Well, certainly the taller growing ones need to yeah. be pruned back regularly. Yeah. Um, um, the other thing you could do is actually bend down a few of the outer you branches could la- you could and lay them. Oh, no, it's on the edge of a garden bed, oh, okay. so, you know, it's got salvias in front of it, an apple tree, so okay. you can't do that. Uh, also, I just wanted to ask Evan about planting something. Mm-hmm. I, yesterday I got rid of all the dianella around my water meter because I got a notice to say they couldn't read the water meter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, poor them. I know. Actually, uh, they sent me a letter, a postcard, and it said the Agapanthus, and I thought, I could be facetious, Sam, you got the right house because it wasn't Agapanthus, but anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so what can I put there? I was thinking, because I've got um, bottle brushes along there, so I want something low. It's just, you know, at the front. What about a courier? They wouldn't spread too much, would well, they? Well, they get fairly tall as well. I like... It um, depends. I like- Sorry, sorry, go on, you go. Oh, yeah, I there are quarries that will, yeah. Yeah, I was just like, thinking there is a new release from oh. um, PM. Oh, I said, what about um, one of those sort of PGA. ground covery type grevilleas? Yeah, or what about scavola? I really like scavola. Mm. Um, yeah. Mauve clusters, it's just, it just flowers all the time. Yeah, and no, you can I've got clip a lot it. of scavola, yeah. That's a um, great thing. Yeah. This, this new courier, which has bright red orange flowers, is called Ring-a-Ding-Ding. Ding. <laughs> oh, I, I I'll be emailing that I, plant. It's a it's a really pretty courier. So I know. might have walked past it yesterday because I did get a Bunnings yesterday, okay. and and I saw a courier, but I didn't take much notice because yeah. I didn't but know. It, it's I a low growing one. So. Oh, okay. I didn't actually know I was going to dig it all out. Well, what's that? That Numulara folia, I think, is a really good low growing one oh, yeah. that's always successful. Yeah, yeah no, the grayish, I, I was very. Yeah, it was pretty hard work digging it out, and I thought, no, I won't finish it. And then my neighbour came over to get some newspapers to put under his mulch, so he dug the rest out. So I've got a very nice neighbour. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's <done>. great. <laughs> yeah. So uh, new Corey, I'll look at that. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And yeah, take some cuttings of the rosemary. Okay. Mm. Have a good day. Okay. okay. Thanks, Sue. See you, Sue. Yes, it's always a problem when you've, you're suddenly uh, told you have to remove plants mm. which you had. Mm. We've, we're actually visit. in the process in summers. They're going to put which we really badly need along along the main road, which we're on through summers. Um, a, a walking a wide walking path come sort of for oh. pushers and kids on yeah, bikes, oh, no that sort of thing. Yes, and it's going right through my nature strip where I've got all these things planted. I yeah. know. Oh, so yeah. I'm going to have to get rid of. Most of those, unfortunately. So I'm planning, you know, digging and moving and all the rest of it. And there's a there's a really nice eucalypt in the middle of it that I think is going to have to go mm. because oh. they, they can't go around it on either side because it's going to be a fairly wide path. Right. Mm. But it's uh, it's so needed because it is needed I there. Yeah. you know I watch people, kids on bikes and 
you know adults with pushers and and the and the buses go shooting past yeah. you know, yes. and it's there's the no there's the no danger. footpath and yeah. and all the tradies mm. sorry tradies <laughs> but they all drive much too fast up and down our road yes yes <laughs> so yes with people particularly on weekends and mm. and holidays it's yes uh, i've ridden, it ridden a skateboard down that road last year okay yeah. well, <laughs> <please>. <laughs> Yes. Well, this I don't think this path will be any good for skateboards because oh. it's going to have a pebbled surface. Oh, oh no, the big wheels good. will love. They'll be fine. Okay, all right, yeah. as long as they've got big wheels. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Who have we got yeah. there? Now, I've just, I've just been asked um, if I could uh, give out Graham Morrison's uh, mobile phone number. He was um, on the program and said that uh, although he's no longer supplying, um, going to, to uh, any of the... Uh, the uh, farmers markets he was quite happy for people to uh, to contact him on his mobile number if they were wanting any advice in regards to fruit trees so um, I'll just uh, give out this number uh, Anna so I hope you are listening ready with your pen poised it's zero four one eight four eight two six one zero I'll repeat that zero four one eight Four eight two six one zero, and that's for Graham Morrison. Okay, so indeed. So what's yeah, going but, on with oh. the garlic these days? You, you, can you still plant garlic? Oh, I was listening to somebody. Late. There's not varieties that are planted later. No, not no. in Australia. The the mm-hmm. difference in Australia is that we don't get the really long days that you get in Europe. We're down in Tassie, you, they're a bit longer, but um, we're too we're too close to the equator, and we don't. Get the days where you know which are happening in Europe at the moment, where it doesn't get dark till eleven o'clock mm. and it gets light at five thirty. Mm. And those are really long days. And and garlic needs it it bulbs um, with long days with the day length increase and with temperature increase. So it needs those two things to be able to you know produce decent sized bulbs. So if you plant your garlic too late, it won't die or anything. And some of it may produce bulbs, but they won't be huge bulbs. And mm. um, some of them will actually only produce rounds. Mm-hmm. So rounds are, are just un, uh, undefined bulbs so that they look like little onions. But yes. you can still eat them, you can still cure them. Um you just have to when you go to eat them you need to use the whole thing all at once. Mm. Um or you can replant them and you'll get it bulb the following year. Mm. So if you've got things sprouting now, by all means plant them if you've got space, mm. but you've got a fair chance that they won't develop properly into mm. bulbs. And and what uh, feeding... Uh, I'm a, I'm, this is all personal gardening advice. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it depends what you... Mine are all going really well, but I was wondering whether I should feed them. <laughs> what you've got in the soil already. Yes. So if you've got a fair bit of nutrient in your soil already, if you planted a green manure crop so you've got lots of organic matter in the soil, you probably don't have to feed them anything mm. because they'll be getting that out of the soil. If you want to feed them something at this time of year, it's good to give them um, something like a fish emulsion. So just a, a little nitrogen hit, particularly mm. if they start if they start getting a bit of pale stuff at the end of the leaves. Um, and it never hurts to give it a bit of seaweed emulsion. So I I I'd do a bit of that if you feel the need mm. to. But if you've done your soil preparation really well. Um, then it, it probably won't need much. Yes, and then as the days start warming up, do you um, increase or do do a little bit again? Or? You can do a little bit again if you want to, mm. but again, but it's um, not really. So, is there a risk of overdoing it? There is. You can mm. end up with really thick necks, and that increases the chance of fungal problems and of aphids attacking. Mm. 
because they like the sort of fresh juiciness of, of really thick necks on the Yes, garlics. as they do yeah. with onions too, yeah. don't they? Yeah. Yes, it's always a, the bane of my father's gardening mm. um, that his onions often get black aphid. Yeah. And it's very hard to deal with. Soap. Soap. I, I alternate um, soap and pest oil. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will, if I get them this year, I will try. Um, Yates has just brought out a certified organic um, pyrethrin spray. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so I prefer not to use any of those things if mm. I can. But, but black aphids, you need to get on top of them as soon as you see them. And you need. I've found that using the soap first and then the week later using using some pest oil. Um, and I like the oil because it's so it's got to get right down inside the leaves. Mm. But this new um, Yates spray has also got some oil in it as well, um, and they've apparently been getting some good results on all mm. sorts of things. Mm. So, I and think- it is actually a pyrethrin product, not a pyrethroid product, because and it doesn't have the emulsifier in it that is used in quite a lot of pyrethrin products that can actually be more dangerous than the than the. Um, Actual spray, so it's mm. made from Tasmanian pyrethrin. Right, very good. So, yeah, I think uh, once you've got black aphid, I think it's hard. You, so I haven't had it yet in my garden, yeah. which is interesting. But I think once my father got it, it, it uh, well, let's see, it, it seemed to then get it'll, it it'll go year. on any allium. So mm. if you've got chives or garlic chives and you've got them there all year round, then it will be down in those, ready to come out and start feeding on your garlic or onions. So one of the ways to get rid of them would be to have a couple of years where you just don't grow too many alliums. Well, even a few months. um, Yes. Like in summer, if you get rid of all your alliums once you've harvested your onions and your garlic, Mm. um, get rid of your garlic chives and your ordinary chives um, and your perennial leeks, you know, give them to somebody else for a few months um, and just see if you can get rid of them Mm. that way. I do like to do things that way. I think Mm. in some ways it's Mm. better and uh, more thorough. Yeah. If yeah. you can just knock out the the host for a while, yeah, yeah, mm. and even for twelve months would be worth doing. But look, it depends how close your neighbours are and what they're growing. Because you know, if you've got people growing the alliums nearby, then they're going to come in from there anyway. Mm. So, mm. Um, can I just mention that we've got our garlic seminar coming up for sure. anyone who's interested? It's the first weekend in August, so it's only two weeks away. And so, if anyone's thinking about growing garlic commercially, or if they're just passionate about garlic. Um, we're a nice bunch of people, and there's lots of it, lots of good people to chat to about garlic. Um, so it's the first and second of August. It's in Albury, and if you get on the um, garlic website, the um, the AGIA website, which is um, garlicaustralia.asn.au, um, they you, all the details are there. I think it's about one hundred and ten dollars or something for mm-hmm. the two days. Um, but you'd need to book fairly quickly because there's um, it's filling up. But it's mm. a, it'll be a great weekend with lots of information and lots of people talking about garlic. Mm. Excellent. Thanks, I'm yeah. saying that uh, yesterday I was phoned up by a client in Upper Beaconsfield and they're opening their garden in uh, September with the CFA. All right. Uh, and they're all, they're, there's three gardens, uh, one that I've designed, which is primarily a native garden. It's, mm. it's quite big. Um, and uh, there's a Paul Bangay garden, which is across the road, which... Um, Looks fabulous from the street. I've never been in it, uh, and there's and there's one other garden. Um, and I think well, they've asked me to do a talk, and there's going to be a, a couple of talks. That's going to be in mid September, so I'll update when that gets a little bit closer. Yes, please. Uh, but the, you know, that's a fabulous garden. That the, the mm. one that I designed, but that's the clients. You know, they've they've just done such a lot over such a long period of mm. time now. Um, 
that it, it does just doesn't happen by chance that these things turn out really well. Yes. You yeah. can you can put it on paper, but if it doesn't get built mm. um, and doesn't get nurtured and cared for, it, yep. it doesn't develop. And they mm. they are just so involved in it and mm. uh, and just doing a beautiful job. So and it's got a reasonable age to it now. Yeah. So um, and you know just slowly doing section by section. Um, yeah, it's a fabulous garden. So mm. look out for that. It'll, it'll be mid September. It's a fundraiser for the local CFA. So it's a great cause to support anyway. Absolutely. Wonderful. Mm. Yeah, excellent. That number, um, if you'd like to uh, to ring in and ask a question, we are running through until uh, 9.15, which is our usual time slot. So uh, there is time for you to jump on the phones. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Evan, you've got... Another plant there you haven't spoken I've, about. I've got two more. Two more, okay. I've got, I've got this beauty, which is um, one of the Heliborus, um, which is Heliborus corsicus, which is probably my favourite hel- Heliborus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's so tough. Yep, takes a lot of sun, which a lot of the Heliborus don't. Don't yes. Um, and uh, flowering now with wonderful big green heads. Mm. Mm. Um, and and a wonderful toothed leaf, which is a, a bluey green, um, and, and they're quite uh, tall, aren't they? They yes. get they're taller than quite a few of the other hellebores. That, that's right. I think yeah. this one I, I cut this off the tallest stem yeah. tonight. Uh, this, so this a good a good meter. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really, really quite tall. They do flop apart if they grow too mm. well. Mm. So sometimes it's better to treat them a little bit meaner than mm-hmm. it is to. Um, uh, you know, overwater them and those that sort of thing. They do. I think they do like it a little bit drier rather than a little bit um, too wet because they just do grow too well and fall apart. Right. But it's just a great foil, even just the leaf colour, and and they're more or less evergreen in that mm. the flowers are, are well and truly there now, and they still look great for another month or so. And then by the time the flowers are dropping off and dying off and you cut that stem off to the ground, the new growth is already mm. there and mm. already six inches tall wow. and coming again. So it's not a heliborus that you end up with a big hole for a long period of time. Yep. Um, they, they're probably best in a reasonable amount of sun in that if they're too far under the shade of trees and so on, they, they will flop and sort of grow to the light. Yes. Um, so they're probably best in a fairly bright spot, um, perhaps not with western Mm. Uh, western sun or, or a lot of wind uh, but they will tolerate a, a range of conditions but I do think a little bit of sun keeps them a little bit more upright mm-hmm. uh, and a little bit tighter um, but this Heliborus Corsicus it's a favourite and it self-sows mm. so once you have it you can spread it's like you know, I was saying earlier spreading the winners around your garden mm. you can use it around the place mm. perennial plants are great like that herbaceous perennials and things that self-sow mm. Excellent Perfect for filling out a, a, a gap in the garden because it's it's so big and, and has a good spread on it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's and great with other flowers too because mm. of the green. Yes. Both the flowers and the leaves contrast so well with other, other foliage mm. and flowers mm. around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it looks good with chrysocephalum. That's a plant that it looks really good with um, mm. because they're doing their thing when the chrysocephalum are looking a little bit tired and then, and then they take over mm. from each other. They look mm. good with rosemary. Yep. Um, because of the bluey green the blue, yes. colour and the, the you know, change, change of foliage, the, uh, mm. the rosemary being so fine and then the heliborus being so bold. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, a wonderful plant. 
Excellent. Takes a lot more sun than I think people give them credit mm. for as well. Mm. Mm. Readily available, even. <clears throat> Diggers has had it for years. I would have thought so. Yeah, yes. yeah it's that's where I got mine from originally. Okay, certainly yeah. in the wholesalers. Yeah. Yes, um, it should be readily mm. available. And look, you only need one. Yeah, or or a person you know that has one, right. and then just dig up a couple of seedlings mm. from underneath. Yep, and uh, and you're away. Brilliant. So they're they're a great plant in yep. that way. All the heliboras are like that. Yeah, spread them around readily. Excellent. Mm. And the last one you brought in. Oh, I brought in um, Viburnum davidi, which is a, a, a very small growing, low growing um, Viburnum. So I use it in my, um, I guess you'd call it a perennial border, but I use it in, in, in amongst other perennials and so on as an evergreen. It's flowering now with those typical flat-headed um, Viburnum flowers. Yes. Um, but it's a great shrub. It really, really requires no attention. It just grows in a nice little dome to about um, oh, 60 centimetres high, I suppose, and about a metre wide. Um, often you'll see it in a, in a mass planting. Um, I know there's there's some good ones throughout Melbourne that you'll see as you're driving around, mass plantings of it, and they might be under things like um, crepe myrtles or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only thing they don't like, they don't like a heavy soil which will dry out in the summer. So they'll tolerate... They'll tolerate dryness as long as they've got their roots down a reasonable distance. So if it's a very heavy soil, their roots aren't down that low, um, and then it tends the to dry out. The, yeah, yep. yeah, and mm. and that they don't like. But apart from that, they pretty much will do it anywhere. They can get a little bit fried on the leaves from from western sun. Um, you know those really hot days, mm. but. Um, apart from that, it's just a really good evergreen foil in the garden that's there all of the time, and it just gives you that little bit of winter colour. But you don't really grow it for the for the flowers. It's more just for the foliage yep. itself, just yep. for that little sort of domed look. Yeah, Viburnum davidi. It's just but you a do nice have that, that wonderful burgundy effect uh, from the stems and 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 around the flowers. So it would tie in beautifully with mm. with your crepe myrtles. Yeah, and I actually have it next to I have. Um, Burgundy leaf dahlias quite close to ah, it, so yes. it does look quite good with that as well. Yes. And again, if you have it with the heliboros with the grayish, then that's just that's a nice combination. Those those three mm. um, that works really well. Yeah, the stems or the petioles to the leaves do have a, a wonderful a burgundy colour, and the flower stems as well. Mm, mm. Yeah, look, it's a nice plant. It's a bit of an old fuddy duddy plant in some ways, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but some of those are, you know, are, are well worth having because they've stood the test of time. Well, Absolutely, that's right. yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And, and yeah. Daphne's one of those, isn't mm, it? Mm. That it's just been around forever, and everyone yeah. loves them. Yep. And, yep. and and why would you grow a gardenia in Melbourne when you could grow a Daphne? I've never quite understood that. Yeah, and I tend to agree. (laughs) (laughs) I I also think that the viburnums are a fantastic um, group of plants. There's Mm. some beautiful ones within that family. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, there are. There's there's lots of them, aren't there? It's a massive group, viburnums. It is. It is. Yeah. Okay, we'll go to our next caller. We have uh, Robin, who's also out in Narriwarren North. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, everyone, in this frost-covered area. (laughs) (laughs) You should run the flag up to callers from Narriwarren North this morning. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, it's the really gardening good. capital of Melbourne. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I love listening to you. You're terrific. Good way to start Sunday. Thank you. Good. Now, uh, just before I ask my quick question, 
Helleborus, Evan, which variety was it you were talking about again? That's Helleborus corsicus. Thank you. So it's actually Helleborus agrutifolius corsicus, if you, you know, want to get technical. Did Latin, so... Yeah, like but that. okay, but, um, <laughs> but it's often just sold as Helleborus corsicus. Okay, mm. thank you. I was just wanting to um, uh, have a fairly short answer, I suppose, to pruning a fig tree. It's a rangy, it's very old, and it's, um, I don't feed anything here, and they just keep bearing fruit, uh, remnant orchard out there. And um, the fig tree is one of them, and, but it needs pruning. It's about five feet high, I suppose, old language, mm. and oh, a bit wider. Has lovely fruit, but I just need to do something with it to bring it in a bit. Absolutely fine to prune it now, um, right. and you can prune it as much or as little as you want to. Um, the prunings that you take off, you can actually push them into the ground, and you'll grow new fig trees too if you want to give one to someone else. Actually, I did. I put some in water. I, sometimes there's a problem between getting from water to soil. With right. Well, you can just even <laughs> if you just but, poke them into the ground under the tree. Yeah. Um, and then dig them up once they've you know, put on a bit of growth. Right. Um, the only thing uh, would be if it's one of the Brebo figs so that it's still got a crop on it from last year, which no. goes through winter. Is it still no. is it doing that? Okay. Because no, the way you prune those, just in case someone else has got one, is that you just take out some of the branches and you do it over two years instead of one year. Right. What type was that? Um, they call them Brebo, B-R-E-B-O, and it, what they are is um, they have two flushes of figs. So most figs um, produce fruit from in spring and into summer when you harvest them, but there are some who produce fruit in autumn, and they stay on the on the nude tree, so it's lost all its leaves, but you've got figs all over the tree through to, to the beginning of spring, and then they ripen. Right, no, it's, uh, so, I've had two crops off this, but not in autumn through right. that part of the year. Yeah. No. Uh, thank you for that. Now, do, do I have to prune back to um, pruning back to certain buds? Oh, uh, yeah, you always prune back to a bud, or you can remove whole branches if if that's appropriate. So Some you just cut those ones. right back to the trunk. Right. You really can't make a mistake with no. a fig tree, really. No. Good thing to start with. Well, yeah. not starting, but... Yeah. And now's absolutely the perfect time to do it. Well, I wouldn't you. leave it any longer because, you know, with our funny climate, it yeah. may start putting on new mm. shoots. Yeah. But at the moment... The, and the only other thing you need to think of when you're pruning figs is the sap can be quite caustic, mm. so make sure you wear gloves. Oh, right. Thanks mm. for the warning. I have heard that, but I've forgotten it. Um, mm. Could I add in just quickly a peach tree as well? Yeah. Do you have time to yeah, that yeah. One? What did It's a very uh well pruning again, but it's it's the most curious peach tree because it, again very old, older than I probably. Never fed. I have had such a crop off this tree surprisingly in the last 2 or 3 years. Um but it's it's really half if you look at it, it's over one side with nothing on the other half and full of leaf and fruit this last couple of seasons but I need to pull that back a bit too because it's draping down to the ground it's a very small fine tree about four inch diameter trunk Mm. I have put the copper spray on it which is no doubt it has helped it's got rid of the curly leaf Mm. but I need to um, you know just trim the branches a bit and I'm not sure if that's one of the trickier ones to prune is it 
Um, as far as pruning at a certain time and a certain way. Look, it, it, I don't these days really prune any trees, in fruit trees, apart from figs the, um, in winter. Oh. Um, I summer prune. Um, oh, yes, I probably missed the right So uh, what about you? Oh, uh, I'm happy to do both. Yeah. Um, yeah, I tend to um, uh, do some pruning, the same yeah. as what you do, because you just don't get that big flush mm. of growth come that, spring. That, yeah. But... Um, but if you're just pruning it for shape and and just getting it up off the ground, I would have no yeah. hesitation doing it now. Oh, yeah. So I I, want, I, I, I tend to fruit. plant. Oh, you won't. Oh, you... I do want some fruit. Yes. Yeah. I've lost as much, um, I think, on the ground and possums as I've and birds as I've mm. gained. I think, but I still got a really good crop. So mm. I do want some, but perhaps. Oh, look, as, as Evan has said, if you prune in winter, you get vigorous, vigorous new growth. So sometimes you can actually compound a problem. So if you prune that one side of the tree that's quite heavy um, and unbalanced in winter, you may actually get more growth than you've got at the moment mm. by pruning it in winter. Whereas if you prune it in summer, you you won't get the same sort of um, rapid regrowth. Perhaps just tidy some of the... So I would do yes. what Evan said, which is tidy, get it off off the ground because you, you've got the possibility of disease, you know, fungal diseases coming from onto the branches from the ground. Um, clear clear out any sort of badly crossing over ones or badly crowded ones, mm. and, but I'd leave the main pruning until summer, until after you've harvested. Usually just after you've harvested is the perfect right. time. Okay, thank you, everyone. It's okay. a pleasure. Bye-bye. Thanks, Robin. As I mentioned, we've got about 10 minutes to go, so if you do want to quickly jump in and ask a question, the number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Evan, have you got any um, school garden projects on at the moment? Um, yeah, look, we've just started... Um a new a new project a new design um, for Maribyrnong River Children's Centre, which is uh, an existing um, family and children's centre um, that's having a renovation and mm-hmm. uh, getting getting some some new rooms and so on. So so yeah, I've um, I'm actually a bit under the pump at the moment trying <laughs> <laughs> trying to get that design uh, the conce- conceptual design done mm-hmm. for early next week. Um, uh, but look, it's great fun. Um, mm. It's it's a uh, it's a tight space though. Now that the new buildings are going in, oh, it's a bit of a shame, really. When you go there now mm. and you look at it, you think, oh, if only they didn't put that you know new new room there because it's quite a big yard and it's mm. you know, it's being so. So we're trying to fit a lot into a small space um, and trying to make it as interesting for the kids mm. as possible. Mm. But but that's the challenge, and I guess that's where design is fun. Yes, because you you have the boundaries, you have the uh, the restrictions, and then you uh, that that inspires you to to be innovative in in other ways. Mm. So um, I guess that's the fun thing. Uh, the hardest thing to design is something that's just a paddock, mm. and there's nothing there yeah. to design around yeah. or to give yeah. you any lead or anything like that. Mm. So, um, did they yeah. have any any particular priorities as to what they wanted? In um, space? Yes, I had a very comprehensive brief. Maribyrn on council seems to be really good in that respect. Um, really comprehensive brief. So, um, natural shade where possible, which is the way it's the way it's sort of really moving. Yes, um, and uh, you know, lots of trees, um, uh, space for, for children to be on uneven surfaces. 
and that type of thing. Sand pits, obviously. Yes. Love a sand pit. <laughs> Everyone's got to have sand pits. <laughs> water and play. A little bit of water play, yep. Um, and digging pit. Yes, which wonderful. Is, which is great as long as the teachers are into it. Yes. Digging yes. pits only work if the teachers are into it and the teachers don't mind the kids getting muddy. Dirty, yes. And dirty and that yep. sort of thing. Um, and... Uh, yeah, nat- natural natural materials, mm. which is which is really great. And I mean, I guess that's why we're starting to get more and more of this work because it's mm. what I've been doing for years. It's that's just right. that it's now kind of mainstream, yeah. <laughs> which is lovely. Yeah, um, yeah. So so that that's really good. There's one um, out in um, oh, Epping or somewhere like that 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 is um, that it's about to be, go out to tender to be built. So so that'll be interesting. So, and that's really heavily treed. Yep. Um, so that'll be interesting too. Mm. Yeah. So, so what um, sort of trees do you look at for for somewhere like that? Um, well, with the with the Maribyrnong one, which has already got a few trees in it, so uh, which is great to do one that's not a greenfield site. Mm. So it's already got some ash in mm. it. Um, it's got some very tall flats next door. So at some point they'd planted petosporums on the boundary, which I don't particularly like petosporums, but. No. Um, but I tell you what, they actually look pretty good because yep. they've really just gone straight up. Yeah. I think because the the flats shade the north sun probably in the winter from them, mm-hmm. so they're tending to go straight up. So they've obviously been there a long time, and they've they've done the job. Um, so and there's also a few um, Manchurian pears in there. Okay. So um, there'll be lines of bamboo yep. because I love tunnels of bamboo. Mm. Um, and and then there will be areas where we'll use Manchurian pears because if you've got an existing tree and you want to put a tree next to it, it's good to use the same tree because when the canopies clash, yeah. it doesn't look unusual. Yes. Mm. And, and uh, you don't have to worry about the democracy of the two plants, you know, sort of hanging out together and doing the right thing by each other because they don't generally. One will dominate over the other. Yeah. So So we're going to have some some little sort of mounds tiny little mounds that you can sort of roll down and get like they'll only be 600 high or something okay. and in the troughs I plan on planting Manchurian pears okay so and given the flats are on that side if it's a greenfield site I use a lot more evergreen mm. um, banksias and so on but where there's going to be probably not a lot of winter sun anyway because of the mm. the building to the north of the site it'll be probably predominantly deciduous mm. just so that it doesn't get well first of all things don't get slippery yeah yes, which is yes. not ideal um, but just to let that light in because winter's a great time for kids to be outside and to mm. be playing because you don't have to worry about the worry about the sun you know kids mm. getting sunburnt and so on so um so i'll probably be sticking with the plants that are okay. there yeah, and there'll be fruit trees. Uh, yeah, I was we'll be going dividing. To say if you've got fruit, yeah, fruit we'll, trees. We'll, we'll be dividing yards with ballerina apples, okay. which we've done before. So instead of mm. putting fences, yep. use ballerina apples really mm. close together. Mm. Um, and uh, and there'll there'll probably be some other apple trees, or um, yeah. it might be it might be an orange tree or something mm. as well. Yeah, or citrus would be good. Yeah, yeah. citrus are great. Man- it's just mandarins. A, there's a there's a there's yeah. in a small space. Um, yeah. You're trying to create shade for the kids long term, so that doesn't always help fruiting plants. No, no. So no. there's that balance yeah. between figuring out well where's the sun going mm. to be, and same with veggie gardens because we'll yeah. be having some vegetable gardens yeah. in there as well. But it's a case of getting them in the right spot. Yes. So You've that long term they're still veg- functional. Yes. Yeah. But then you don't want the kids to have lots of sun either. No. Um, yeah. 
So, yeah, so I guess in this case mm. it'll be Manchurian pears. Okay. It might be another ash. It'll be apple trees and that sort of thing. Yep. Mm. Oh. Yeah, so that, that's fun. I'm really enjoying that challenge at the moment, yeah. trying to fit everything in, yep. trying to make it as interesting as possible. Yeah, so that's that's the current do you, project. Do you ever plant things like um, carajongs for the seed pods for yes. the kids to play with and the banksias and the banksia cones Absolutely. and stuff like that? Yep. yep, they're two of the two of the plants that are at the top yep. of the list. Yeah, for playing, you know, mm. plants for play, if yes. you like, yeah. yeah, because they, um, well, especially the carajongs, yeah. you know, with those wonderful woody seeds, yeah. Yeah, um, great yes, if there's water great. play mm. because you can pick water up with them and yes. yeah. all of that sort of thing, yes. and yeah. banksias as well, banksia integrifolia we use mm. all the time, mm. yeah, yeah, because it's so fast as well, it's quick to get up, mm-hmm. and you can plant them really close together, yeah, mm. um, so that you can create all these little nooks, yeah. The kids can be in, and yeah. and you've got the flower, and then you've got the seed, and you've got the 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 interesting leaf. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, mm. and casuarinas as well. Yeah. I love casuarinas yeah. because great it's, you know, yeah, great yeah. foliage. You can play the game where you pull a leaf apart yeah. and put it back together and yeah. try and guess where the break is. Yeah, you know, there's those little games you can play mm. with yeah. with those sorts of plants. Mm. And I think we're I'm trying to look. At, I like outdoor blackboards, um, so I'm trying to figure out a way of using sawn stone for that. So putting okay. shards of stone in the ground rather right. than rather than build uh, blackboards themselves. So, so it's sort of a sort of go. slate type surface. Yeah, exactly. That you can just use chalk on. Yeah. I do think I'll be able right. to do it. I've done it before with tables mm. with uh, black limestone, mm. oh, but yes. I want to use uh, bluestone. So I've got to get out with the chalk and make sure it works. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have a bit of a play. <laughs> well, I think the other really exciting thing is that, that to be able to go back to some of these gardens sort of 12 months later and just watch how the children are actually using the space. Oh, absolutely. That's that's terrific. Yes. And, and talking to the teachers. Yes. Mm. The teachers are the ones. Uh, I actually dropped into a playground the other day. I was driving past and I thought, oh, that looks interesting. It had... Um, the boundary fence had Canedia all over it. Okay. okay. I thought, wow, that's a cool idea. So I went around and they let me in. Um, and uh, and that place was great. But talking with the teachers, they'd say, yeah, that's great, that's great, that's great. but that's not great. And so you learn. Mm. Yes. You learn but because Wonderful. it's the teachers that are there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They're the ones that know what works yep. and what doesn't. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Brilliant. We've run out of time for just had yet quick, another week. Question about cutting back canners. Oh, you can okay. Do it, do it now. Do it now. Yeah, so when when they're not flowering, you can cut them back. Mm. Okay. Great in the compost. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Excellent. Yep. Sorry, Pam. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. We must go. A big thank you to the team. Um, it's been great to have both of you, Penny and Evan, in on the program again. And a big thank you to Jen, who's been handling all the phones. We'll, of course, be back uh, next week at 7.30. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.